Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Ernie De Los Santos, founder and faculty chair at Appeal Academy and creator of Top Gun Audit School. And we are live on the January 27th, 2017 edition of Finally Friday. And I do want to thank you for choosing to spend your precious time with us here on Finally Friday. I know you're at least missing a certain press conference that's happening about now, I think. Anyway, Today's Finally Friday broadcast is sponsored by the Health Law Partners, providing solid advice and real solutions for healthcare business nationwide. And one of our partner firms is Recovery Analytics. That's Sharon Easterling's company. She does auditing and education, often authors articles for AHIMA as an AHIMA fellow, and she is a co-host on our show. The show is now also sponsored by Zermet. They're a leading provider of financial and clinical performance management solutions. They use breakthrough predictive analytics technology to help you get paid faster, more fully, and more cost-effectively by both payers and patients. You should visit Zermed.com to learn more about their wide number of products. And finally, we're also partnered with the Council for Certification of Medical Auditors, CCMA. They are the creators of the widely used Certified Medical Audit Specialist, or CMAS, certification. We're proud that we've been approved to offer CEUs by them for our shows. And you should check with your organization to see if they'll accept these CEUs. I've heard that most of them do very readily. So, uh, let's see. This week... We are proud to welcome back uh, former administrative law judge Bob Soltis. Bob, I'm hearing a lot of uh, paper rustling or something. Um, it's me. I'm anyway. sorry. I'll quit. Oh, okay. <laughs> rustling around, getting ready for the show. Okay, anyway, Bob is here today to tell us what we need to do about all the new changes that HHS and OMHA just made to the <clears throat> Medicare appeals process. Now, notice... I did not say that CMS made these changes. We are currently of the opinion that it was HHS and Omaha who wrote this behemoth of regulation and not CMS. And I personally have to wonder if it's all going to stand anyway, given that the nominee for Secretary of HHS, Representative Tom Price, I wonder if he's going to go for all this, as he doesn't like this kind of stuff. But we'll talk about that a little later anyway. As usual... Uh, well, uh, at least I think they're here. We normally have our uh, panelists with us, Dr. Maria Johar. She's a full-time physician advisor coming to us from ProMedica Hospital System in Ohio. Uh, and then we also have our revenue cycle expert, Sharon Easterling. She's an auditor and author of her own company, um, Recovery Analytics, and she's creator of her newest product called Doc Bites. You might want to go to see her website for more info on that. And Bill Mom will be joining us. He was traveling, but I believe We're here. he has landed in his We're here. Oh, you're here. Okay, great. Bill is a certified medical auditor and a physician assistant, managing director of his own company, Health Revenue Integrity Services. Okay, now before we get going here, I do want to make clear that the opinions shared on this show are those of the panelists not necessarily representative of their employers. My opinions are, of course, my own and no one else's, and especially not those of our sponsors. And finally, these shows are offered for educational purposes only and certainly not offered as legal advice. The lawyers <coughs> tell me I need to say that. 
We do our best to provide great, accurate, and conservative education for free and at least point you in the direction of solutions. Now, pardon me, for those who may be new to the show, and I know we had a number of people uh, sign up for this week's show who have not been with us before, so what I want to do is get over to the website for just a moment and tell you that if you go onto appealacademy.com, and now I'm hearing an echo. And now I'm hearing an echo. Uh, Bob, uh, is that coming from you? Bob, is that coming from you? Somebody. Yeah, I, I got to go out. I got to take the dog out for. I got to oh, take the dog okay. out for a minute. Just ba- delayed by half bailiff. an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Just, so while uh, you're doing the okay. other, I'm gonna take him out quick. Okay, bailiff's got to go out. Um, all right, here we go. If you are, um, that's the bailiff. His 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 dog Lucky is our bailiff. In case you don't know that. Anyway, um, where was I? I was telling you about if you go to any page on appealacademy.com, scroll down and you will find this little box with the green buttons that look oddly enough like the ones on your screen. And if you click on that, it takes you to this page where you can then see all the information about how to use the control panel. You can zoom. Um, and no, I'm not going to let you present. Uh, and uh, you can see the list of participants. So you're the one at the top of the list if you open that. If you point at you, you'll get a little dialogue pop up next to it that can let you put in your own name. You can put first name, your whole name. You can see in the participants list, some do, some don't. It's up to you. Uh, just keep in mind, everybody can see everything in the chat box unless you choose to chat directly with one person. Uh, I do want to remind everybody that it is a public chat room and uh, everybody gets to see it. So please keep your comments professional and um, keep in mind that there are lots of different, lots of different people with different kind of jobs in the chat room. So watch on our shows. Anyway, yeah, as Dr. Hopkins says, put your name in, don't be shy. Okay. Um, all right, so, and also if you're new to the show, you've probably already seen this, but if you go to the uh, This Week on Finding Friday each, each week, you will see down at the bottom or towards the bottom are the handouts for the show. Uh, by the way, earlier, if you were trying to download, download this fourth one and it wasn't working, try it again because I had it on draft mode for a little while until somebody told me about it. And then you'll be able to see a replay of the show later. It'll be posted right here. It'll be a box that looks like this, because that's last week's show, but there'll be one up here. There'll also be uh, the podcast will be here. Uh, You can even find the podcast on iTunes uh, and take it with you and listen to it in the car or the bus or whatever. And then here is the CEU certificate, which you can download there for free. Okay, so now... Let's go ahead and move on to the the news while we're waiting for Judge Schultes to come back. Hang on. Well, I bypassed it. There we go. Okay. So news this week. uh, I'm starting off just by talking about this one article I wrote this week that was a really surprising thing. It took a long time to find this clip. 
but uh, Representative Tom Price, who, as most of you probably know, is the is President Trump's nominee to be the Secretary of Housing, Housing and Human Services, or Health and Human Services, and uh, he, he was testifying before the Senate Finance Committee earlier this week, and he made statements saying that basically he wants to shift away from doing all the medical necessity audits, which he thinks is a waste of time and effort, and instead go after real fraud. Uh, so that may be a kind of a nice thing. He may turn out to be a nice friend for providers. Okay. And that must mean that Bob is back with us. <laughs> Bob, are you back? You. Yeah, I'm sorry. He. You know, the dog has, have, has had so many strokes, and he's got arrhythmias. And the pet sitter, I'm sorry, the pet sitter was supposed to be here, and she now said 1.30, so... I, I had to take him on. Ah. Sorry. All right. Well, we have we'll have fun in the meantime. So okay, should I get so started with the news? news? Yeah, Bill, go ahead. Tell them about the next few slides. So the biggest news out in the industry, obviously, was the election. And a lot of truth, innuendo, forecasting, craziness, whatever you want to call it, is going on. What we can do is try to present you to the facts of the week, which may change from week to week. The first thing I've been asked repeatedly is, are you going to do something on Section 603 like we did in the OPPS rule? The answer to that is, I personally am not doing it, but Jugna Shaw and Valerie Wrinkle have a podcast on February the 1st through HC Pro, where they're going into down and dirty on Section 603 uh, provider-based billing. So that, if you're asking a question, we will not be presenting that, but they will. There is a couple of truths this week. Um, there are two uh, MACs that are offering opportunities to meet for Region 2 and 3 with Cadavetti, and those are Cahaba and NGS. You can, I've given you the links because you cannot sign up uh, unless you have a provider number. So they will not let you into this discussion without that provider number. You basically get thrown out, and that's the end of that. So if you have a provider number, Wonderful. as I looked this morning, there were only 23 spaces open left. They have 115 total, so you may want to do that if you're in those regions and get sorted. It's our expectation that other regions will move forward with introducing the rack. Um, second of all, the ACA has had the brakes put on, and the most likely dating back to early, early on, the Republican Party has been a proponent of these block grants and to, to run Medicaid and give basically a lump sum of money to a state and let them determine how that's going to be used. There's a lot of pros. There's a lot of cons with this. I'm not siding with either side, but I thought this Kaiser Health Network article did a really good job at going through those pros and cons that you might have to consider. So, again, it's just a crystal ball at this point. We really don't have anything further on that. I think that if Secretary uh, – uh, if uh, I've already promoted him – if Dr. Price gets in, there, we may see some, some other changes. Ernie, pop to the next one. Okay. I, I, I want to know that – you said they had 115 slots available? Yes, at but each of those that, regions. Only only a bureaucrat could come up with that number. I, I don't understand. Okay, I don't mind. know, but I suspect <clears throat> that there will be a replay of some kind, um, but the actual on the line will be 100 and um, 
115. This is an interesting okay. thing. They were publishing chronic care management facts. People have been looking forward to this FAQ, and they no sooner wrote it than they rescinded it without replacement. So just wanted to let you know, if you were looking for the chronic care management FAQ, it has been rescinded. Now, I don't know if that is because it's part of ACA, um, through the, the the rulemaking out of the ACA to start, you know, more uh, quality-based things or not. But it has been rescinded, so do keep looking for that. In the final rule and the new guidance is there. So on to the next one, Ernie. Yeah. Those are links. The um, If you download the deck, you can get the links straight out of the deck there. Okay. JW Modifier, I have been on a quest to find out information about this, and it doesn't seem that the Macs are as heavy in pursuit of this as was CMS, uh, the every sales price, uh, the ASP pricing group. Um, they're really not giving out a lot of information, and from what I'm talking to clients around the nation, they're also indicating that their Macs are really very slim, very meager on the information they're providing with JW. The only thing we know for sure is one group, WPS, has said the type of documentation they'd like, and another group, I believe it was Novitas, said that they will not tolerate a uh, one-penny charge or a low-dollar charge. You actually have to split the charge based on the dosage delivered and the dosage wasted. We still have absolutely no clarification to FAQ number four, number 11, in which it states that, um, that if you don't bill wastage to any payer, then that's a consistent application and you don't have to do this. Um, we did see one Mac say that, you know, they're requiring the uniform use, but that doesn't answer the question. That's still a question. So people ask me, you know, when do you think they'll give this guidance? Honestly, they're really anxious to get this as part of pharma data, but I think they may have figured out this is the way to go about it, and they may look at other options. So I don't know. Stay clear for that. But it's as clear as mud as it always is. Uh, Ernie? Okay. Well, there's a PDF from this in this week's handout, so you can go you can go see that. Uh, I didn't have the exact URL, but you can probably find it <clears throat> going and looking on those sites. Anyway, then uh, Bill, you added this one. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it was time. Australia. It was Australia Day on the 26th, so I was quite fond of seeing what the news is out there, and I, I and I came across this this 10-year-old little boy. It's a video. Uh, felt the need to just surf over a 4.5 meter, a great white shark. And you can see the shark in there. And that's kind of my feeling about the healthcare industry right now. There are things lurking that we just don't know about, but they really can be quite dangerous. So I think one of the things I've been telling my clients is every Friday transmittals are put out at cms.gov forward slash transmittals. Somebody should be assigned to read them. Some may not be applicable to you. Some may be applicable to you. But I'm finding more and more people have gotten away from that and gotten to more of, you know, condensed versions like we might do. I'm not saying we are not doing a good job, but those transmittals are your source authority. So I, I really urge you uh, to read the transmittals uh, because they are actually going to be the guiding force. So be careful of these things lurking under the water. Wow. 
Yes, okay. Stephanie, there is a schedule. It is Friday at exactly 5.01, and they usually break it on Monday morning at 9 when they upload the updrafts. So from 9 to 12 on Monday, uh, you just will not be able to get to them. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Is there a link for that, Bill? Or I think what we'll do is we'll do maybe we'll – We'll do a cut and paste of the transmittals of the last week um, in in our next show. We'll start maybe presenting that. Okay. All right. Sounds good. We can do that starting next week. Okay. All right. So uh, that's it for the news. Uh, last week we had uh, Mary Gregory with us talking about the major coding changes in 2017 in uh, ICD-10, all because of the uh, coding guideline changes. And, of course, that was the second show she did for us about that. Uh, and it was watched by uh, – it was watched after the fact by about 300 hospitals, I noticed, uh, last week. So you might want to go listen to that if you didn't get a chance to. This week, of course, we do have Bob Soltis with us, uh, who's a retired administrative law judge, and he's going to talk to us about these changes that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, in the appeals process. It's something that had been talked about for a while and proposed, and nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. Well, the final rule came out 639 pages later, and um, we I say still counting because who knows? This, this can't be all that's going to change, and we don't even know if any of it's going to work. So, And then uh, the most fun image I found all week was this one. I hadn't put up a grumpy cat image in a while, so I had to do that. Anyway... <clears throat> okay, so, uh, Bob, we're all ready for you uh, to tell us about this. And uh, first thing you're going to do is talk about what are the most significant changes that have been made. All right. The floor I, I'm, is yours. Seeing a, I'm seeing a mute sign on the, my picture here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you just fine. Can, oh, all right. Bonjour. La journée commence maintenant. Voyons ce que nouveau monde fera pour moi. Mr. Jean Valjean, Les Miserables. The day begins, and now let's see what this new world will do for me. Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. So uh, the slide pretty much, from my standpoint, says it all. Um, the real things of benefit for appellants are, and really for everybody, um, are the attorney adjudicators, uh, CMS contractors, are not going to be able to uh, gang up <clears throat> on appellants uh, during the hearings anymore. And then we're going to talk about precedential decisions of the Medicare Appeals Council as selected by the chair of the DAB. So first of all, uh, I see this, I'm afraid, very afraid. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to we have to live for the present and not fear of the future. Um I mean if if any of us it, it's really a good thing that we don't know what's going to happen in the future because the uh we w wouldn't want to know about the bad things because then we'd fret over them and if we knew about the good things they wouldn't be pleasant surprises. So uh onward mm. first of all with the attorney adjudicators and from again from the standpoint of somebody who uh was in the trenches or on the deck to use my Navy officer analogy for a little over eight years. Um, 
what happens when a case comes in uh, and it eventually gets assigned to an ALJ team is one of two things. Either some of the ALJs, uh, I was one of them, uh, would actually review the file themselves and read all the medical and make a decision, well, could this be paid? Uh, does it need a hearing? Uh, is it not timely? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, or the other option, uh, door number two, is that uh, somebody on the team looks at it. Typically, a uh, staff attorney uh, will look at it, and they actually will write what is called a substantive review, but all that is is a proposed decision. It's a draft with their recommendation about whether the case should be paid or not. And so the attorney adjudicated, the, another door number three, as Monty Hall would say, uh, is at some point a paralegal looks at it for sufficiency, like, you know, is it on time and so forth. But really, the, it's either the ALJ or the staff attorney. Uh, and staff attorneys are, you know, attorneys that were hired by the Office of Medicare Hearings and Appeals to, and they're trained in Medicare law. And so uh, the attorney adjudicators are going to be attorneys. Uh, if we want to go on to the next slide, I think the next one's on, uh, on, on attorney adjudicators. But it, the attorney adjudicators are a recycle of the Medicare magistrates. Okay, so Ernie, I don't have control of the slides. So there we go. All right, there we it. go. So, uh, <clears throat> so you know, I think these. I think the attorney adjudicator. We're not seeing anything in the in the proposed rule, or in either of the drafts of the final rule. And that you know, the the readable one, as Ernie describes it, is 637 pages, <laughs> which is not quite as long as Les Miserables. Uh, the other one that was actually published in the Federal Register is only 167, I think. And uh, but it's, it's not readable. Right? Right? I can't read those things. I, yeah, and, you know, and I and I'm not and I'm not going to. I'm taking this stuff to FedEx Kinkos, and I'm going to print it out. Um, I, you, you can. This is not readable. It's, it's tough enough, uh, you know, to read on paper, but you, you know. Nobody should be expected to read this on the screen, but it turns so the prior proposal where they were talking about it, uh, Medicare magistrates, you know, that instead of ALJs hearing cases that were less than $1,450 $450 in controversy, they would have Medicare magistrates. And I, you know, that regulation didn't proposal didn't call for the Medicare magistrates to have hearings. So I think they were simply going to be doing uh, on-the-record reviews, and they'd either pay a case or not pay a case, and then are dismissals or you know whatever the appropriate order was. Uh, and for whatever reason, they decided not to go with the. I personally, I, I think Medicare magistrates is a bad idea uh, because what about grandma, you know, who calls in and wants to have her hearing, and she's like, well, I, you know, why am I only getting a magistrate? I mean, I just think that. You know, hmm. there might be that, you know, I'm, again, let's not go through life looking for ways to be offended. But some people, some members of the public would have to worry about, well, why don't I get an ALJ? You know, why don't I, you know, why don't, why, why is my case being assigned to a magistrate? You know, this drug or this, this, this uh, doctor's visit was very important to me. And because it's not worth $1,400, I don't get a real hearing. So maybe that's why they scrapped it. I don't know. Maybe, you know, somebody read the book. And said that you know said this isn't going to work and it's not a good idea. So now we have these attorney adjudicators, uh, and I saw some several concerns uh, 
in the comments <clears throat> that were submitted to the proposed rule about, uh, well, what are these people going to be qualified? You know, what are their qualifications? Um, what are, uh, you know, are they going to be independent? You know, one comment, the commenter, uh, this is right out of the response from, uh, again, I think Omaha wrote this uh, because the comments were sent to, as I recall, uh, Mr. Jason Green, uh, who's a, either a director well, or a deputy director or something at uh, he's at, he's at headquarters Omaha. of, yeah, he, he's, he's, yeah. At, he's at Omaha headquarters or the office of chief judge or whatever they're calling themselves these days. And so that's why I think that <clears throat> Omaha wrote these regulations and, you know, in their response to the AHA lawsuit, they said, we're taking administrative actions. And one of them was, they said, we're rewriting the rules to streamline. Um, he used to be a staff attorney. <clears throat> so he would obviously be qualified to be an attorney adjudicator, except uh, it's, you know, it may, it might be a demotion. So, but uh, the, the attorney adjudicators are people who have been working for the agency for a while uh, at Social Security, they were senior attorneys. The senior attorney was someone who'd been with the agency. I think you had to have minimum time and grade of two or three years. Social Security law is a lot simpler than uh, Medicare law. I mean, it's a five-step process, and I could explain it to you in about five minutes. And, you know, Medicare law, I mean, there, <laughs> there are, you know, all the different LCDs and <clears throat> so forth, and, and you have... I don't know, 10 plus areas, Smith, inpatient, whatever. And so it's a lot more complicated. <clears throat> but these attorney adjudicators are, are, I believe, going to be, you know, this is just my opinion based on past experience. They're going to be people who know their stuff. They're going to be people who have been working on a team uh, or in the pool. <clears throat> uh, there, are, there are two attorneys signed to every ALJ uh, who either review the cases for them or write the, and then write the decisions the ALJ instructs or write the decisions based on the ALJ's review and hearing or whatever. And, but all these, these folks, I mean, the agency's, this is 2017. So the agency's going on 12 years old. Um, and there are people who are there who have been there since day one, you know, we call them plank owners in the Navy. And so they will <laughs> obviously be qualified to do this. Well, no, because you know, you help plank the ship. Uh, yeah. And so they're obviously okay. qualified to do the I can't, I mean, anything's possible, but realistically, uh, you know, again, um, even, and even if you think the glass is half empty, it's still half full, but I'm a glass is half full kind of guy. And I think that uh, the folks that are going to be uh, promoted or assigned to these attorney adjudicator positions are going to know their stuff. All right. The other, con the other concern... Stuff. Yeah, the other concern was um, about attorney adjudicator independence. Uh, and uh, again, I, I think this was Omaha writing the response, you know, and they talked about, well, the final rule, you know, uh, in the final rule, they talked about 42 Code of Federal Regulations 405.1056, which requires that an ALJ be impartial and the uh, Modification also now requires an attorney adjudicator to be impartial. So there are, uh, first of all, any employee of the United States cannot partake in any representation or helping anybody having anything to do with a case against the United States. So there would be no conflict of interest there. The concern I think this commenter had is that, all right, what if these people are paying too many cases? 
you know, are they going to get lousy performance evaluations? Um, yeah. And I think at some, so, you know, some point um, the agency is, is determined that they're, you know, and I, and I have, again, I haven't read this whole thing. Uh, and I'm sorry, but my dog has been in and out of the vet for the past two days. Uh, but I will print it out and read it. And I'll be able to tell you a little bit more on this uh, later. Uh, but I, I think okay. that I don't see that being a problem. Um, you know, the agency is, is very familiar with the APA, which requires the ALJs be independent. Uh, and I just can't see, you know, the decisions are going to have to be correct. Uh, but I, they mm. certainly, I don't certainly see, you know, downgrading somebody. And I will tell you, based on the attorneys I worked with for eight years in Cleveland, uh, they, they, you've, I've seen some of the highest ethics and integrity. Um, I can't speak for the other offices because, you know, I didn't work with those offices. Um, and at some point, they may put something in a decision. You know, uh, the judge that I took, one of the judges who took me under their wing, used to say at the beginning of her hearings, and those of you who have appeared in front of me will remember me saying, I am not graded or scored on how I decide this case or how I decide any of my cases. And at some point, the, the attorney adjudicators might want to throw something like that. I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure there are uh, concerns there. Like an ALJ, uh, if for some reason a uh, party to the case, and you have to be a party, non-party cannot object uh, to, the, to the ALJ, and a non-party will mm. not be able to. A party is, is someone who's elected to be a party pursuant to 405.1012, uh, as opposed to a participant who has just said, you know, hey, I want to participate. I don't want to be a party, but a party can object to the ALJ if the ALJ is not partial. Or they think the ALJ is biased uh, for some reason. So uh, hmm. I think that is not going to be too much of a concern. This is really going to be good for the appellants because these are the folks who are, and I didn't see anything about a mountain controversy for attorney adjudicators either, uh, but these are going to be yeah. some of the people <clears throat> That you want that that are going to be looking at the cases, uh, and if they bring in new people, what what's going to happen is, uh, again, I don't have a crystal ball and I don't work there anymore. And I, for the protection of those who do work there, I don't have any contact with any. I'm not in contact with anybody that works for that agency. But my experience tells me that what they'll do is they'll promote existing staff attorneys to be attorney adjudicators, and they'll put new hires into attorney adjudicator slots. I mean, you know, that's how I think they hmm. they would do it. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, again, those, you know, those people are going to be, uh, are going to be looking and writing some on the records and that could be very beneficial uh, to appellants. You know, it may some, you know, you put something on there and if you're willing uh, to have an adju attorney adjudicator look at a case, you're willing to, you know, not, have a hearing in your case, you could put hearing. I mean, if you think you have a really great case, I mean, if you've got a double knee amputation and you're an earth, and believe me, I've seen those cases. If you had a double knee amputation and you've got a Mac or a rack saying that person didn't need to be an inpatient, um, you know, I mean, there are no sure bets, but that's a 99% of the time <laughs> a case, unless you get one of the really bad people, one of the really, but let me take that back, unless you get one of the really, one of the ALJs who just won't pay anything, 
Um, you know, yeah. so that's a case yeah. you could say oh, I on your on your cover sheet to your request for hearing, you could say, you know, request on the record. You know, there's there's gonna be a dot where you can say I you know, I waive my hearing. Yeah. But you might want to put that hot pink cover sheet on there. Uh, waive hearing request attorney adjudicator. So I think that's enough. Uh, hmm. I haven't seen any okay. questions. Uh, I, I was going to ask you the question though, Bob. What what is uh, what? So is there really any difference between an attorney adjudicator versus the magistrates, other than the title? And we don't know yet if there's any kind of limit on the amount. But it just seems to me they just change the title, and maybe that you know dollar limit is eliminated. Um, that, what's the you know, is there a difference? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, again, I'm not there, and, and so I don't know what's going through people's head, okay. but we saw that uh, the 2016 budget proposal, which, and all that stuff's yeah. off the table now, because we've got a new administration, and they're under continuing yeah. resolution. They asked for 82, as, as I recall, Medicare magistrates. I don't know what. I hope she really gets here, because he's, what's the matter with you? She'll be here in a minute. Um, the uh, I don't see anything about I don't see anything about um, amounts and controversy in the current regulation, and so what I think okay. they simply decided to do is they said, you know, we're just since these people are the other problem with Medicare magistrates is that magistrates in the U.S. District Court, for example, and in local county courts, you know, and state courts have hearings. And so they may have decided to change it to attorney adjudicator. And, you know, comments were made that it's not clear whether these people are going to be conducting hearings or not, the magistrates. So they may just have decided mm-hmm. we're going to call them attorney adjudicators. Adjudication is typically is not a hearing. Okay. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that kind uh, of makes sense. Well, and then here's a question, uh, somebody asking uh, when an appeal is sent to Omaha, um, who or how will it be decided if it's going to be an attorney adjudicator or an ALJ that will actually look at the appeal? It seems to me like they might be sending all of these through the attorney adjudicators first and then on to the ALJs. You know, I think though there may be a screening process where somebody, you know, the paralegal, one of the things that happens is the paralegal may take a look at it and say, you know, this was late or they didn't serve all of the beneficiaries, mm-hmm. yeah. which has been required regulation for a long time. And so they may say, dismiss it. That's obviously going to go to a Medicare magistrate. You don't need an ALJ to draft that decision. You don't need an ALJ to sign that decision. And that's um, making it a lot easier. Um, okay. Uh, okay. The other thing is you people who, appellants, who say, I waive my right to a hearing, they, again, you put that, you put that hot pink sheet or whatever on your request for hearing, or somebody looks at the request for hearing and sees that um, <clears throat> you've asked for it on the record, you waived your right to a hearing, they may say, "All right, fine. A Medicare magistrate will a Medicare magistrate will decide this case." Um, you know, I that that's that's what I that's how I think it's going to work. Okay. Oh, so you think there's well, wait, there will still be magistrates? 
as well as the attorney adjudicators? No, no, or? no, no. I don't. I don't know. No, I don't see. I don't see anything. I don't see anything in the regulation. The, the revised regulation. I didn't see the word Medicare magistrate. I could be mistaken. Uh, I haven't read okay. all, you know, 167 600 or pages. 600 pages. So I think. But I, they I were. They were, appro- they were approved. They were approved for um, the magistrates before this administration. No, I don't think so. No, oh, I don't okay. think so. There was just a budget approved. It sounds like, but. It's all in question because of the new administration. The, the, yeah, the, okay. the budget called for the budget called for eighty two Medicare magistrates. As far as I know, it never got approved. Those because that's what's called an FTE, a full time equivalent, a new a new body in a chair getting a salary from money. Uh, and uh, okay, Sharon just yeah, put so up that, this. Uh, uh, Sharon just put up this link. What I'm showing now was uh, somewhere in here. Sharon was saying this is where the mountain controversy things are posted somewhere in here. Well, you know, yeah. Sharon. Hmm. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, you have to have a certain you have to have a, you have to have a certain amount of controversy, uh, and it was one hundred and fifty dollars to have a hearing with an ALJ. All right, and then they had this Medicare magistrate idea. So that, that means the amount of dispute has to be at least one hundred and fifty dollars. Um, and um, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm a little okay. distracted because he's screaming, and the pet sitter is ten minutes overdue. Um, so you have to have one hundred and fifty dollars in dispute for to be able to file a request for hearing in the first place. They then had this bright idea that if your the amount of dispute wasn't at least $1,450, we're not going to assign it to an ALJ. We're going to give it to a Medicare magistrate. We're going to bring in 82 new bodies, and they'll take care of it without a hearing. Okay, I think that's off the table, and they're just calling these people attorney adjudicators without regard to the amount of controversy. So an adju- attorney adjudicator okay. could dismiss uh, the attorney adjudicator could dismiss a big box case that wasn't filed timely. Okay. Okay. All right. We're, we got yeah. about, what, yeah. 20 minutes, and I want to leave time for questions, so we got to get moving. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. All so right. what about the ones that you're saying? Are you saying there are two things that might be used to your advantage, at least these two, that we might be able to use to our own advantage when we're doing the fields? Yeah, you might be able to use the presidential decisions. We'll get to that. That's that's item number three on the agenda for today. The next thing is limits on contractor participation. Okay, right now, anybody can show up for hearing. Um, You know, and they they can act, and the ALJ has to at least call somebody, anybody from CMS or CMS contractor can say, I want to participate in hearing, and the the ALJ has to get them on the phone, presuming they filed it on time. You got to get it to the ALJ within 10 days. Uh, if my recollection is correct, um, of the time you receive the request, they had notice a hearing. I'm sorry. Um, okay. So the, theoretically, the ALJ could have to call. So somebody wants it. So you got a RAC wants to be a party. Recovery auditor wants to be a party, and then the Medicare administrative contractor wants to participate as a non-party, and somebody else, um, you know, the quick wants to participate as a non-party, and so you got to get the appellant on the phone. 
you got to get three other people, you know, two or three other people on the phone. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of work that doesn't need to be done. So, and these are all at 42 CFR sections 405.1010 and 405.1012. Uh, to be a party, you have to elect pursuant to 42 CFR 405.1012. You, the contractor has to elect to be a party. You know, they have to say, I want to be a party. They just send in the election and they don't say they want to be a party. My take on that is, well, you didn't say you wanted to be a party, so you're a non-party. <clears throat> and you use that to your advantage because only a party can present evidence. Only a party can present opinions. All right. Now, a non-party can present testimony to clarify issues of policy or regulation, but you can't have a non-party. I think we, we talked about this in one of the mock hearings that we mm-hmm. did last year or the year before. You can't have a mock party submitting, you can't have a a non-party submitting 30 pages of medical journals and saying, well, no, this person didn't need to be in the hospital as an inpatient. A non-party can't do that, okay? Okay. And you can object to that. Uh, We've talked about that. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, on the 8th of March, okay? But a party can show up and they can testify. They can offer opinions. A party can cross-examine the appellant unless it's an unrepresented beneficiary. And then I think they can't, I'm not sure, there's some limits on whether they can even show up at all. So a party can cross-examine. So, you know, if you're a hospital and your doctor's there and your doctor testifies under oath, the party can cross-examine the witness. Um, And sometimes if they're attorneys, you know, they do. Sometimes there are some non-attorney parties who show up and they're pretty knowledgeable about this stuff and they, you know, they cross-examine too. What happens with the new regs is only one person only one entity gets to show up uh, at an ALJ hearing. The, fir- the first contractor to respond is a party. Everybody else, oh. are you there? I hear, I hear this air yeah. noise. So if CMS responds uh, first, yep. or, well, if a, if a quick response So the RAC responds first. first. Yeah, or the RAC. Whoever responds Whoever responds first is a party. Everybody else is automatically a non-party. What that means is they can't show up at the hearing. Non-party now under the new regulations, which take effect uh, on the spring equinox, March 20th. Uh, the new, the new, the new regulations say, if you're a non-party, you can't show up. You can't appear at the hearing. You can't say anything. You can still send in um, written, you know, the written testimony. Uh, and you can send it a position paper, but you can't show up at the hearing. So the ALJ only has to call the appellant and whoever has elected to be a party. The regulations, the new regulations also clarify that if you, if a contractor does not send the request to participate, either as a party or a non-party, to the proper people or does not get it submitted, does not submit it on time, the ALJ mm-hmm. issues what is called a notice of invalid election, and you're out of the box, long story short. So instead of having mm-hmm. to deal with all this, it's going to make the ALJ's job a lot easier. I mean, you know, so you've got two people now. You might, in a, you know, if people get to the point right away and limit their opening statements to a minute or less, um, and again, you know, 
If you've already submitted a position paper, unless there's something you absolutely need to say to the ALJ, uh, and it, and nobody else is showing up, I'd say skip your opening statement. You know, we rest on our our brief or position paper or whatever. You might, if somebody else is showing up, you want to keep it uh, to a minute. And what that means is the ALJs might be able to get a case done in 15 or 20 minutes if it's a fairly simple case, uh, as opposed to half an hour or 45 minutes with all these people showing up and arguing. Because some of these contractors get very aggressive. Uh, you know, when they're if they're told you're you're not a party, you can't say anything. Uh, so you don't have to you don't have okay. to waste time with that kibitzing. So, so that, the, I think the ones that just want to participate with, they just want to be a t participant, uh, mm -hmm. they can't show up to the hearing. They can't be at the hearing live. Correct. Is what Correct. you're telling me. Yeah, no, yeah. They, they can't call in. Wow. The ALJ doesn't have to call. You know. Yeah, if it's an 800 number, they, they, they don't call in. They can't call. They're not supposed to call in. And if, you know, the ALJ is one of the ALJs that calls people, um, then the, uh, the ALJ doesn't have to call them. The ALJ only has to call the party. Uh, so wow. that yeah, that's good that's for, a big that's, that's a big for, difference. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's I mean that helps everybody. That helps the ALJ. Um, that that helps clear the backlog because what you're doing is you've increased bucket capacity. Okay, you only got yeah. so many buckets. You only got you only got 80 buckets. You know, I have 80 teams, and so mm -hmm. you can put you know you got a bigger bucket now. You don't have more buckets. They still need more buckets. They need more bodies, but at least now the buckets they have they can do more with. Uh, because, you know, again, they only have a certain amount of hours a day. ALJs are not allowed to work overtime. Okay. Oh, and, uh, okay. Yeah, no. So, so you, can't, you can't have an ALJ who says, I want to do more, come in on, uh, you know, I want to come in on Saturday and do hearings. I'm sure appellants would love, some appellants might want to do that. Or, you know, I'll stay and do hearings until 9 o'clock and, you know, you pay me extra. And, but, yeah, no, they, the APA Administrative Procedure Act says no, no awards and no overtime for ALJs. So wow. I think that's that's okay. the balance of that. So then we got I, again. I want to allow <clears throat> finish up in maybe okay. a couple minutes, uh, you know, so we can if people have questions they can ask questions. Um, so then item door number three for uh, everybody is um, let's, that this is you know you can read the regs on this. Um, let's not oh, spend okay, time yeah. on this now. The big thing the, the okay. thing that people are really concerned about are these precedential uh, decisions, and that's with a C, not as in the person who lives in the White House, Further, okay? Yeah. So precedent is, <clears throat> for the non-lawyers, the lawyers, please bear with me, uh, precedent is a case uh, about the same facts and the same issue of law, all right? The, the simplest one that I can think of, and I can remember this from law school in 1982, all right? Fisher versus Carousel Motors. Uh, somebody snatches a plate out of the hand of a uh, waiter, in a hotel, restaurant of some kind. And I'm not sure if it was a criminal assault or a civil lawsuit for an assault, but Fisher versus Carousel Motors held that, because assault is when you, you know, when you try to, battery is actually when you connect. A lot of people call it assault. And um, Fisher versus Carousel Motor held that if you snatch a plate out of a waiter's hand, that's an, that's an unwanted offensive touching and that's assault. Okay, so that's precedent. Wow. So if you have, So if you have a case, where uh, a server at McDonald's, you know, has a, 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 you know, one of those plastic thing, food containers snatched out of his hand because somebody's mad about something. Um, they go into court, your honor, 
this is, you know, somebody says this is not an assault, you know, da 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 da. Your Honor, Fisher versus Carousel Motors is precedent, and the court will find that that's an assault. So what what this new regulation proposes to do is that um, I'm sorry, she's not here, buddy. Okay, we'll, we, she'll be here in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> what the new regulation does is it allows the chair of the Departmental Appeals Board. Uh, who's also sort of the chief ALJ of sorts of Medicare Appeals Council. It, it's Judge Constance Tobias. Um, it will allow her to say a final decision of the secretary made by the Medicare, the, you know, Medicare Appeals Council that is not yet appealed and has become final. And there, there was some banter back and forth about, well, then what happens later if we appeal it? And we're not, we don't have time to get into that today. But, but Judge Tobias is going to be able to say that, for example, a uh, he, he's in a crisis and he really needs to go. Um, Judge Tobias uh, will be able to select a decision and say this is going to be precedent. Okay, and appellants are are the appellants are very um, concerned about all of this. Keep some checks over there. Um, the appellants are very concerned because <laughs> what this is going to allow the MAC to do, uh, and maybe this is why the commenter said, "I'm afraid, very afraid," but essentially. Um, you, you have to pick him up. He can't walk. Um, um, what, the, what this allows the, 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 the chair of the Departmental Appeals Board to do is say, you know, I really like, you know, or the chairman of it, theoretically somebody could say, well, you know, this decision says this, isn't, this clearly isn't payable. They can make that precedential. Okay. The flip side of that coin is um, a, a good, I thought this would have been a good, um, candidate for it is continuous glucose monitors. You know, CMS has taken the position that they're not, they don't treat a disease or that they're investigational or something. And so, um, you know, a, a good pro-appellant presidential decision would be um, a continuous glucose monitor that measures serum glucose and in interstitial fluid as opposed to testing blood is a device for treating diabetes uh, and so then what happens is every time a continuous glucose monitor that drew interstitial fluid for checking blood sugar came up, well, we got a precedential decision on that that says it is a device. And so you have to pay it, or at least you can't say it's not payable. Okay. Okay. So okay. she decides, she decides she's going to select one of these decisions People, you know, well, you got to tell us what the criteria are. And, you know, from what I've read so far, without reading all 300 or 600 pages of it, depending on what format it is, uh, they, they have said, nope, we're not, we don't have to tell you what the criteria are. And, you know, federal court, you know, you know other agencies and other courts, it's been held that, um, they don't have to. They don't have to tell you what. You know, one. I guess one of the concerns was criteria. You know, for assigning cases, the magistrate decisions in federal courts, and they said, well, you know, the every, you know, circuit handles it differently, and so therefore we don't have to tell you what the criteria are. So they'll put notice of it in the federal register. So that's how you're going to know. I think in an ideal world, what they should also do, they should put it up on the MAC website. But what this means is. You know, somebody's going to have to, somebody in your regulatory affairs uh, decision is going to have to look in a federal register. You know, I mean, that, that's, wow. I mean, that's de rigueur. You know, for anything involved in the federal government, if you really want to know what's going on, unless 
you know, for example, the IRS sending you a certified letter or, you know, a notice of decision or something. If you want to know what a new policy is, it ain't official until it's in the federal register. So that, that's where the notice is going to be. And then you have so many days to, again, the regulation, you know, speaks to what you can do about it. So this is a two-edged sword. Um, you know, yeah. there are justifiable yeah. concerns. You know, there are justifiable concerns that, well, they could be. But, again, it has to have limits. Okay, the, the, the facts of the case, the facts of your case have to be exactly the same in terms of, you know, as the, as the presidential and, okay. and, you know, decisions and the medical records and this and that and everything else. Um, <clears throat> you know, the facts have to be on all four, so to speak, with your case. <clears throat> you know, so if, you know, uh, a contractor wants to throw a presidential decision at you. Huh? Hmm. Yeah, okay. what you have to do is you have to pick his back legs up. Okay. Hold his back <laughs> legs or hold him up. Yeah, he, and then you have, you have to pick him across the street. Okay. He, he may not want to deposit here. I'm you sorry. You know, I, I wanted to... <laughs> anyway. Um, All right. So, uh, well, um, so the... Uh, so but it, it sounds like... Okay, so do so we have questions? like the... the pre- yeah, well, we've got somebody who, who just got an email. You can see it in the chat box. Uh, just got an email talking about uh, new unified request for ALJ hearing or review of dismissal uh, form to replace the current request for ALJ hearing form. In the re- okay, so I, I you know, they combined. If you don't want a hearing versus you want a review of a dismissal, um, uh, I don't understand. You may not, Multiple you know, claims. You, some, you know, email that to me and I can get you an answer and I can get back to you. You know, without I don't have the chat box okay. so without having it in front of me. I can't okay. tell you what that is. But there, there are, you know, there are certain dismissals that even an ALJ can't review. Uh, you know, um, hmm. so I, I bet. Well, now, are, uh, are the are the precedents that the uh, the chairman of the DAB are the precedents? What I'm hearing is that what when they set a precedent, they don't have to explain why, or or what Correct. convinced them that this needed to be a precedent, and it's basically not reviewable unless you go to federal court. Even then, I'm not sure it's reviewable. Is it? Uh, well, yeah, because if you go to if if you go to federal court on that particular case that was selected to be a precedent, I what I think is if the federal court turn reverses the MAC, then that you know that decision should no longer be precedential. Um, CMS or HHS may take the position, well, that's a district court decision, that's not precedent, and so it may have to go up to you know whatever circuit it is and. You know, I mean, this is all, this is all very, you know, nobody knows. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are all, yeah. these are all, you know, these are all possibilities, you know, as the, as your quote or Deepak Chopra says, you know, the field of all possibilities here. Um, you know, yeah. we just, <clears throat> but the, the, um, I, I haven't, again, I haven't looked to see if there's a new request for Mac review form up or not. And, uh, but we'll, you know, for that email to me, okay. And we'll certainly take a look at it because that's something we need to get yeah, into. Stephanie, uh, if you can, uh, Stephanie, Stephanie, um, Burnside sent that in. If 
Stephanie, if you want to uh, forward that to me or to uh, to Bob Soltis at our emails, they're on the slides. Uh, uh, take a look at it. Uh, very interesting. Thanks for posting that. Uh, a couple yeah. of questions did come in here, Bob. Uh, one is if a precedent decision on a Medicare payment uh, is in the if, – if they're putting them in the federal register, why don't they then rewrite LCDs or NCDs to support those decisions? Um, it, they probably will, and they should. Um, yeah, I mean, they're supposed to re- – they, they were supposed to rewrite the benefit policy manual to – reflect what the agreement was in Jimmo versus Sebelius about medical improvement not being the standard for therapy treatments. And it took, it, you know, this, this stuff takes a long time to get done and it should yeah. happen. And I we should expect that it will happen. Who knows how long? Uh, okay. okay. And I see something okay. from Jim Brown about where you can find the forms, but at some point they will yeah. write, rewrite it. That, that's part of the deal is, I mean, this is all, this, this, it's a Pandora's box, but it, it could be good. Yeah. You know, we look at the glasses being half full. Um, it could, it yeah. could be good. There are good things in here. Okay. Um, no. Yeah, Jim. It's not all bad. It just looks like they're trying to streamline the documentation. Well, I don't know if that's good or not. Another question was, when you were on the bench, what was your case type breakdown? For example, did you have like 50% of the time you were doing inpatient versus observation or or you know, have you got any idea of what that breakdown was? Well, um, it was a mix at the beginning, but then once the racks cut loose, um, mm. I mean, the place was just flooded again, to use my officer analogy um, or ship analogy. I mean, the place was just flooded with inpatient hospital claims. And I, I think the majority of the oh. cases, and in fact, um, the department in its response to the AHA lawsuit uh, or said that the majority of the appeals were filed by one of the largest percent. And I mean, I think over 50% of the pending appeals were filed by one appellant, not well, one hospital, only, though, during, one appellant. Now that was just, that was just during one, uh, that was in one period at the beginning of 2015. Uh, that was, well, I, that I, was I, true. Yeah, I, yeah. I still, the majority of the cases are inpatient. I, you know, and probably still are. I mean, majority being 50.1%. Yeah. You know, yeah. a preponderance of the cases, which is just enough to tilt the scales. I think they still have, I, you know, I don't know how, I haven't seen anything. I haven't looked um, about, you know, more about this settlement, but uh, their biggest, you yeah. know, the, the largest amount of water is, is most of the standing water. It's still inpatient. Is, um, yeah. Certainly dollar wise, it's certainly it's, it's inpatient. Uh, and Maria, and some, I think I can answer point, this question, uh, um, asking about are the ALJs and the new adjudicators trained medically, uh, at least somewhat? And I'd say the answer is absolutely not. Yeah, unfortunately, the answer is no. Um, what, what's interesting is that the regulations and the, and the procedures for ALJ hiring provide, you know, so people come in, new, new ALJ comes in. Um, at the at the lowest rung on the pay ladder, the regulations provide that they can pay someone. I think it can bump them up one step or two steps on the pay ladder if they have specialized knowledge. And one would think that specialized medical knowledge, you know, somebody who was a nurse, um, and there was somebody who was a nurse. He's retired now. 
Um, you know, I don't know that there are any doctors, you know, ALJs who are doctors, but, you know, somebody with specialized expertise could get paid more. Um, at Social Security for decision writer training, they had a doctor come in one morning and talk to us about things. And they had a, it might have been a whole day, and then they, they had a, psychi- a psychiatrist come in or psychologist come in. I, right now, they, they, I don't think they do that for ALJs. There's, there's no, there isn't enough training on what the law is. There's not enough. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. what you what you all have to keep in mind um, is that the function of that hearing, in addition to making a record, presenting your cases, you have to educate that ALJ, you know. And so, uh, you know, an excellent example I heard from somebody in an inpatient case, uh, you know, where somebody said, well, you know, the beneficiary is always going to, you know, have this problem. And the doctor said, well, not if not the day that they finish the treatment. Uh, and it was a particular kind of antibiotic, you know, or, or if, you know, for example, um, explaining what the left anterior descending artery is, or and, and, you know, if you've got a something, you know, something Johnny Cochran like, you know, that you can yeah. give the ALJ, you can explain something to him, you know, particularly those of you who are doctors. I mean, this is where you're going to shine, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, last last question, and then we gotta we gotta. Um get off for a little over time but that's fine uh any thoughts on the appeals council and their productivity over the past three years our experience is massive inactivity there which i think is i don't know that you're going to see a lot of activity i don't think they ever are expected to have a lot of activity there's just not that they don't it's, do that many cases it's it's not a, it's not a question of inactivity it's a question that there are only five of them and so every time somebody so every time somebody appeals um, you know, from an ALJ, I mean, I, I have people telling me that they filed Mac appeals four years ago and they still don't have a decision. I'm almost done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, okay. It, it's okay. not that, it's not that they don't want to do it. I mean, they're, they're really, you know, they're really hard. Essentially a lot of the Mac, they are administrative appeal judges. They're not ALJs. Okay. And so it's a different thing. Um, they're staff attorneys mm-hmm. that went through, They've been there for a long time. They're attorney adjudicators. They're essentially attorney adjudicators who have been, you know, promoted and appointed to be administrative appeal judges. They get paid the same as ALJs do, uh, but they don't hold hearings. You, you can't have oral argument in front of the appeals council. I don't know that they've ever allowed it. Um, you know, but it's not it's not inactivity. It's that I mean, literally, it's you know, for any of you who ask your friend about the USS Buttercup, you know, anybody that you know that went through Navy training. It's they. It's just they. They only have they only have five buckets to deal with almost the same huh. amount of standing water. You know, because so yeah. so the ALJ deals you know with the standing water, and then somebody appeals. And keep in mind that if the ALJ pays you, um, the Ed Quick, the Administrative Quick, qualified independent contractor, can request own motion review. So there, the buckets are just getting the cans are getting kicked down the road to the Mac, and they've only got five people to deal with. Almost the same amount of water. Jeez, yeah. So, so it just doesn't. Yeah, All right, they're just different. Okay. Well, so thanks I want to everyone. Thank everybody I just want to. I apologize. I apologize for the well, issue. Um, you know, but this is he's he's been having many strokes, and this just started this week. Um, hmm. You know. Well, and, and, and uh, there was help was late getting there. Anyway, uh, yeah. this is a webinar I put up on the screen. Um, Thank you, viewer uh, about, 
Yeah, we're going to do a, uh, a webinar. Bob is going to uh, complete his analysis of this and then do a step-by-step -step, uh, instruction on how, exactly how you can, you can do all this that we've been talking about, including he'll provide a proposed notice of invalid election that you can use to, uh, to uh, help yourself with the, uh, in a hearing and um, talk, more, talk in a lot more detail about it. Uh, in a webinar that we're going to do on March 15th. So uh, there's the link to the page where you can go sign up for that. Uh, and of course, you know, in that, it'll be uh, probably a smaller crowd, and you'll also be able to, uh, uh, you know, ask a lot more direct questions. Um, and and I'll, so, I'll have somebody here for the full, I'll have somebody here for the full hour. So uh, we, won't, we won't have the dog issues. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for those um, who have been sending prayers. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to sign off. Okay. All right, Bob. Thanks very Thanks, much. Thanks, everybody. And uh, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Thanks, everyone, for being with us today. Uh, obviously, uh, we're over time a little bit, but thanks again for being part of our show. We had a very good crowd on today. Uh, and uh, we will, of course, be back next week. I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about uh, who knows what, but watch for my email announcements. Thanks to everybody for participating today. The great chat box. Uh, thanks to Bob Soltis, of course, for his insights and expertise. And, of course, to Dr. Johar. She was here. Maria, you were here, I think. Yeah. Uh, yep, I am here. <laughs> okay. And uh, Bill and Sharon uh, for freely sharing their knowledge and experience with us all. Thanks to everybody again for participating today. And, of course, we owe thanks to our sponsors and partners, the Health Law Partners, Zermed, Recovery Analytics, and the CCMA, their contributions who continue to make these broadcasts possible and free for all of you. So watch for my emails about the February 3rd show. Please share the links to our show with your colleagues and friends. And the last thing I'll share for you is something that I found this week that I thought was totally appropriate is all this endless thinking is very overrated. Uh, I think we just need to focus on uh, doing what makes sense, folks. If you got a question about it, it's probably going to get denied. Anyway, we'll see you all when it's next week, when it's finally Friday. Everyone have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, I don't know if anybody's still with me. Probably not. <laughs>